There are so many religions in the world. How are they similar and how are they different? We need to know. The culturally correct view is to blend them all together as equally relevant and legitimate. But is that true? Prior to becoming a follower of Jesus, your host, Mike Shreve, was an avid seeker of truth, exploring many paths to spirituality. One of his passions now is to help bridge the gap so that others can discover the true light, which gives light to everyone entering the world. Now, here's Mike Shreve revealing the true light. I have two very important questions for you. Number one, is the kingdom of God within every human being? And number two, did Jesus teach that concept? I know when I was a yoga teacher in 1970 at four universities in Florida, and I was running a yoga ashram, I believed that the kingdom of God was within every human being, and the God of that kingdom was within every human being. And I taught that Jesus verified that in his teachings that the kingdom was accessible to every person in this world internally. Well, is that true? Did Jesus teach that? And is that a correct concept? We need to explore this. Let me take you to the very scripture I used to quote when I was a yoga teacher in order to try and prove that Jesus supported this idea. Luke chapter 17 verses 20 through 24. And the first two verses are really the most important. Now, when Jesus was asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, he answered them and said, the kingdom of God does not come with observation, nor will they say, see here or see there, for indeed the kingdom of God is within you. That sounds like He really intended for it to be interpreted that way, right? Well, we'll find out in just a minute. The next three verses. Then he said to the disciples, The days will come when you will desire to see one of the days of the Son of Man, and you will not see it. And they will say to you, Look here, or look there. Do not go after them or follow them. For as the lightning that flashes out of one part under heaven shines to the other part under heaven, so also the Son of Man will be in his day. And he's really covering a lot of territory in a lengthy period of time in just those five verses. We're going to understand that in a little bit. But several questions need to be answered. And let me go through them. Number one, what were the Pharisees expecting to see? Why would they ask this question of Jesus? Why would they ask when the kingdom of God would come? Because they had a little bit different, well, not a little bit, but a tremendously different view of the coming of the kingdom than Jesus. They were judging by the way God had moved in the past. And, of course, the Israelite people were under the oppression of the Roman Empire, And they thought the coming of the kingdom of God would be after the pattern of David and Joshua and Gideon and other deliverers in the past who had conquered Gentile armies and established the authority over the Holy Land, over the land of Israel, in the hands of the Davidic dynasty and those who ruled 
the nation of Israel that were the seed of Abraham. They thought that would happen again. They thought that Jesus would raise up an army. They thought that if he was the captain of our salvation, that salvation would manifest by saving them from their literal enemies, the Romans. Well, why did Jesus go a different direction? Because he did not come to establish an earthly kingdom at that point. He said, if my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight. In other words, he was saying, my kingdom's of a different nature now. It's going to manifest. It's going to advance in a different way. Because he said, the kingdom of God does not come with observation. And that word observation means to watch something over a protracted period of time so that you see something evolve step by step. In other words, he was saying you're not going to see the kingdom of God advance by an Israeli army taking over one city at a time until we rout the Romans and reestablish this land under the authority of the seed of David. Well, did Jesus actually mean, though, that the kingdom of God was in the hearts of his opponents? Because he did say, behold, the kingdom of God is within you. And he was talking to these Pharisees, many of whom hated him, many of whom proclaimed that he was a false Messiah, that he was a blasphemer because he said he was the son of God. No, that would be completely illogical. But if he did not mean that the kingdom of God was within those Pharisees who rejected him and stood against his teaching, then what did he mean? The answer to the next question will help provide the answer for the one I just asked. How do other translations of this passage render that particular verse? The word translated within, when Jesus said, behold, the kingdom of God is within you. The word translated within can also be translated among or in your midst. For that reason, many other translations of the Bible render that passage differently. Luke 17, verse 21, in the modern King James Version, says, Nor will they say, Lo here, nor shall they say, Lo here, or behold there, for behold, the kingdom of God is in your midst which makes a lot more sense because Jesus was not talking to an individual. He was talking to a crowd of people. And so he was saying there's kingdom power. There's a kingdom essence in your midst. It's right among you. Though you can't perceive it with the five senses, it's here in a supernatural way. And of course, I'm filling in in between the lines. The Greek word translated within is entos, E-N-T-O-S. It's used only twice in the New Testament. Its primary meaning is inside, as it is rendered in Matthew chapter 23, verse 26. And that's where Jesus was rebuking the Pharisees because of their religious hypocrisy. There are seven curses proclaimed in Matthew 23. And in verse 26, he said, blind Pharisee, first cleanse the inside of the cup 
and dish, that the outside of them may be clean also. And he was, of course, speaking metaphorically about how it's necessary for the heart to be cleansed first, and then the outside will take care of itself with respect to dress or appearance or manner uh, in which the manner in which we live. Cleanse the inside first. And so in that verse, entos was translated within correctly. But in Luke 17, verse 21, entos is used with the word you. And from the context, we can see that Jesus was speaking to a crowd of people when he said you. The kingdom of God is within you. He was not talking to one person. He was talking to a crowd of people. And so entos is more correctly rendered among or within or in your midst. If 30 people were standing around and the power of God was moving that day and people were being healed and people were being delivered of evil spirits, then it makes real sense that Jesus was talking about an atmosphere of the kingdom that was in that vicinity because he had been ministering. Let me give you an example. In Matthew chapter 12, one was brought to him who was demon-possessed, blind and mute, and he healed him so that the blind person saw and he was able to speak. And all the multitudes were amazed and said, could this be the son of David? And of course, by that they meant, is he the promised Messiah? Is he that seed of David that would establish the kingdom of God? Right? And when the Pharisees heard it, they said, this fellow doesn't cast out demons, but by Beelzebub, the prince or the ruler of the demons. Of all the names given to Satan in the Bible, this is my favorite one. Because Beelzebub means one of two things. It either means Lord of the flies or God of the dung. And dung is, of course, manure. And so if there are two names appropriately placed on Satan, those are those two names. Lord of the flies or God of the dung. And, he's, and they were saying, this man's casting out demons by Beelzebub. Listen to what Jesus said. Every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation, and every city or house divided against itself will not stand. If Satan casts out Satan, he is divided against himself. How then will his kingdom stand? And if I cast out demons by Beelzebub, by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore they shall be your judges." And then the key verse, he said, but if I cast out demons by the Spirit of God, surely the kingdom of God has come upon you. So in that passage of scripture, he was talking about an otherworldly kingdom that was supernaturally evidencing itself in this world by these miracles and deliverances that were taking place. He said the kingdom of God had come upon them because it was not yet the time for that kingdom of God to come within the hearts of people, nor that God of the kingdom to come within the hearts of people. Jesus clearly revealed that in John chapter 14, verse 17. He said, the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. He's talking about how he's going to sin the spirit of truth. 
And he said, whom the world cannot receive. He didn't say that dwells already within every human being. He said, I'm going to send the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. Because see, the disciples were around the moving of the Holy Spirit all the time as that presence of the Holy Spirit, that anointing of the Holy Spirit manifested out of Jesus. And they had surrendered to Jesus' Lordship, claiming him to be the Messiah. The Holy Spirit was with them, but he wasn't yet in them. Because the redemption price had not yet been paid. Jesus had not yet gone to the cross, making it possible for human beings to become temples of the Holy Spirit, where the Spirit of God and the kingdom of God could come within us. There's another scripture I want to bring out, and that's Colossians chapter 1, verses 12 through 14. That passage says, giving thanks unto the Father who has made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light. That's the King James Version. A more recent version says, who has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the power of darkness and has translated us into the kingdom of his dear son. If you're translated into the kingdom, that means to be totally removed from one place to another in a moment of time. That's what translation is. Enoch in the Bible was translated that he should not see death because he walked with God. And so he was translated into the kingdom of heaven. He was completely removed from the physical world, translated into the spiritual world. Now it's a little bit different meaning because it says God has translated us into the kingdom of his dear son. That's not a bodily translation, but our spirits, the moment we're born again, our spirits are suddenly, miraculously, supernaturally translated into the kingdom of heaven. And you become aware of another kingdom altogether that is here in this world accessible but you have to have a heart that is washed in the blood of Jesus, cleansed and regenerated, because Jesus said, except a person be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Well, if you can't enter the kingdom of God without being born again, the kingdom cannot enter you without being born again. It's a simultaneous experience where you'll translate it into the kingdom. What is the word kingdom mean anyway? What does the word kingdom convey when we use it? It comes from two words, king's domain, and it means anything under submission to a king that falls within the realm or the limits, the boundaries of his domain. That's the king's domain, the kingdom. And until we make Jesus Lord of our life and as king, he enthrones himself in our hearts, we're not in the king's domain. We're not in the kingdom. There's two scriptures that talk about what the kingdom is by telling us what it's not. Romans 14, 17 says the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. So now we see that if you 
are born of God and you enter the kingdom, you're translated into the kingdom, you become aware of and a recipient of righteousness and peace and joy that is not ordinary righteousness attainable by a human being, nor ordinary emotional joy or emotional peace accessible to any human being. It's supernatural righteousness, joy, and peace that is in the Holy Spirit. And once the Holy Spirit comes into you, when Jesus becomes Lord of your life and comes into your heart, then you experience the kingdom. And it happened one heart at a time in the very beginning. That's why Jesus said the kingdom of God does not come with observation because you can't see it with your physical eyes, but it advances from one heart to the next. When I witness to someone and that person receives Jesus, the kingdom advances. No one walking by could observe it. It's spiritually discerned, right? Also, 1 Corinthians 4.20 says the kingdom of God is not in word, but in power. In other words, it's not just another system of theology. It's not just another religious worldview, another philosophical way of looking at life that is described by words and concepts. It's more than that. It's power. It's the power of God that transforms people into sons and daughters of God. Isn't that wonderful? So Jesus didn't mean what we tried to make him mean. When I was a yoga teacher, we would quote that out of context. Well, the correct way to interpret the Bible is to take any scripture that refers to any concept and mix it in with all of the other scriptures that relate to that concept, and then find a balanced interpretation when all of them are mixed together. And then you get a proper understanding of any given concept in Scripture. You can pull one Scripture out and prove things that are not necessarily so because they're not hinged to all the other Scriptures dealing with the same subject. Now, some people have taken what Jesus said here, the kingdom of God comes not with observation, to try and prove that the coming of the kingdom of God is spiritual in essence, and that there will be no literal, visible, bodily return of Jesus. But again, they've taken it out of context, because when you read the whole passage, like we read a little while ago, Jesus definitely added to the understanding of those who heard him by saying to his disciples, the days will come when you will long to see one of the days of the coming of the Son of Man, and you will not see it. In other words, he was going to be removed from this world, and they would long to see him ruling and reigning on the planet, but they are not going to witness it after he goes, that they're not going to see that level of authority and manifestation of the kingdom once he departs from this world. But he didn't say that would be a permanent situation. He went on to say that they will say to you, look here or look there, do not go after them or follow them. In other words, there's going to be false messiahs, false Christ come who claim to be an avatar, claim to be a manifestation of God, claim to be another messiah 
Don't go after them. For he said, as the lightning that flashes out of one part under heaven shines to the other part under heaven, so shall the Son of Man be in his day. In other words, when the kingdom fully comes to earth, when Jesus returns, the intensity of it is indescribable. One prophet said the light of the sun will be like the light of seven days, and the light of the moon will be like the light of the sun in the day when God comes to heal the breach between heaven and earth and the brokenness of his people. When he comes to bring full healing to this world, the Bible says he'll come in flaming fire and all his holy angels. No wonder every eye will see him. So yes, the day will come when the coming of the kingdom will be complete. It will be perfect. It will be total and it will be visible. Every eye will see the coming of the kingdom then. Until then, the progress of the kingdom, the advance of the kingdom is invisible, taking over one heart at a time. And if that's never happened to you, it's a very simple thing. All you have to do is invite the Lord Jesus Christ to come into your heart, be Lord of your life, enthrone himself as a king within your heart and cause that spiritual rebirth that he promised to happen inside of you. And it will. He said, ask and you shall receive. Knock and it shall be open. And he said, if you seek, you shall find. Seek him. And the Bible said, seek you first the kingdom of God and all these things will be added to you. So to seek the kingdom of God, you've got to seek the king of the kingdom. Thank you for joining Mike Shreve today on Revealing the True Light. And thank you for opening your mind and your heart to the truth. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes, cpnshows.com, or wherever you listen to podcasts so you don't miss new episodes. You can explore the beliefs of many world religions more deeply by ordering Mike Shreve's book titled In Search of the True Light. We also invite you to visit our website, thetruelight.net, and sign up to be part of our global internet family.